0: Let's pray. And Lord, we do lift up to you our high schoolers and, and the leadership of that ministry. We pray, Lord, that you would guard them and guide them. That as they go and do this, may, maybe it'll start as just an exercise in doing what we're supposed to do, but Lord, that they would come back having reaped a whole lot more. That we pray that you would work in their hearts to know you more. To love you more. To pass that on to those that they engage. The kids that they serve. To know that they serve a greater purpose. Praise you, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. What does Romans 3.23 say? Hey, man, you guys are on this uh, Bible memorization thing, aren't you? That's our, our memory verse for the month, isn't it? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the book of Joel, Israel had broken the covenant that God had made with them. I'm going to do a little bit of review here because it's been three weeks. It was a great vacation, but glad we're back. Israel had broken the covenant, Right? The terrible things that Israel is enduring in this passage are a direct reflection of the punishments that God had told them about back in the book of Deuteronomy. God had warned them that these things would happen to them if they left God behind and worshipped other gods. If they left God and walked in their own ways. If they sinned against him what we are reading here in the book of Joel is the result of their own sin. We all have sin in our lives, if we are honest in any way. Ways that we have or still do fall short of God's perfect glory, His, His perfection and His holiness. And we reap the consequences of that sin. Be it directly or indirectly through punishment and discipline, through suffering some sort of consequence, be it job loss from mouthing off on Facebook or around the water cooler or whatever, or or divorce from an affair, or simply the haunting knowledge that we know that we have done wrong. Which can reveal itself in any number of ways in our in our physical selves, from fear and anxiety to the physical ailments that develop from the stress of all those things. And as we reap the consequences of that sin, whatever yours might be, are we convicted or are we just caught? Are we convicted or just caught? Do we cry and lament because we don't like suffering our own consequences? Or are we ready to deal with the fact that there is a greater and eternal issue at stake here? In our passage today, God wants Israel. He, he wants us to understand that When we suffer consequences, God has allowed all those things completely on purpose to make us realize that there is something wrong in our sin. He wants us to mourn because we have been caught. But He wants us to move on from there to a deeper thought. He wants us in in heart and mind to understand that we've not only done something wrong, but we've, we've broken our relationship with the God who created us. He wants us to lament and mourn. Not just because we've been caught, but because our walk with him has been hindered. He wants us in that place now. He wants us in that place now to realize our broken relationship with God here and now because there's a day of judgment coming. A day when repentance and really recognizing what we've done between us and God, that chasm that we have established in our sin, all that repentance and recognition of that will be too late. There will be no restoring that relationship on that day. And he allows for all of this. And he tells us all of these things so that we might turn to him personally. He wants us to mourn because we've been caught, but he wants us to move further to the idea that we've broken our relationship with him. He wants us there now so that it is restored before it's too late. He wants us to personally turn to him. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Joel chapter 1. We are starting at verse 13, reading through verse 20. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Joel chapter 1, starting at verse 13, it says, put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar, go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. "'Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, "'and as destruction comes from the Almighty, it comes. "'Is not the food cut off before our eyes? "'Joy and gladness from the house of our God? "'The seed shrivels under the clods, "'the storehouses are desolate, "'the granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. "'How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle are perplexed "'because there is no pasture for them.'" Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. A reading of God's Word. Go ahead and be seated. Well, isn't that fun reading? Lament and wail. I don't think in America we even realize what wailing is. We are not a vocal culture, are we? Verse 13, it says, put on sackcloth and lament, O priests, wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth. Why? Why should we be in that place? Because, and actually, let's let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to the previous 12 verses in which God says to them, Wake up! Lament! Be ashamed! Because you've been caught. Wake up, lament, and be ashamed because you are being punished. All the things that you love, all the things that you put your hope in are being taken from you. You have them no more. What do you have left? Verse 5, awake, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, you drinkers of wine, because the sweet wine is cut off from your mouth. Wail, because you've been caught. Lament, verse 10, the fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil languishes. This is why you should be torn down, lamenting. Verse eleven: Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil; wail, O vine dressers, for or because the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the wheat has perished. And in these things, wake up, weep, and shed your tears, because you are reaping the consequences of your sin. Realize that you've done something wrong, and this the consequences in which you are suffering is the result. The difficulties, the hardships of living in a fallen world, the sicknesses, the difficulties of of work. What did God tell Adam at the very beginning? If you sin against me, in the punishment that he dealt out, he said the ground will produce Thorns and briars, thistles, right? Nothing good. Your work will be hard. It is, isn't it? This world is hard to live in as we watch two fine young men perish just doing their job here in Alden. Tell me we don't live in a fallen world as we suffer through the things that people do against us as we suffer the consequences of our own wrongs, the lies, the lust, the coveting, the hatred, the selfishness, God allows these hardships and these consequences to open our eyes. To open our eyes, he wants us to see, verse 17, the seeds shrivel under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are torn down because the grain is dried up, how the beasts groan, the herds of cattle are perplexed because there's no pasture for them, even the flocks of sheep, they suffer. He wants us to understand how our sin has an effect upon our own lives as well as the lives of, of those around us and the world around us. And he wants us to to see it and be disturbed by it. He wants to see it and to have us be shaken up by it. I think we've been lulled to sleep by our own sin long enough. It's become acceptable. It's become okay. And we can justify it at every turn, can't we? It's okay for me to do this because they've done that. God wants us to see our sin and its results and the consequences and the suffering, but he doesn't want us to stop there. He doesn't want us to just wail and lament because we've been caught. He doesn't want us to be upset just because we've been found out, but to to take that because a step further. Verse 13 second part of it, he says, he wants them to wail and to lament and to mourn because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Wail and lament because the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. He wants us to be convicted about our relationship with him. He wants us to understand that in our sin, we have broken that relationship with him our our right relationship and our proper worship of our creator and our god has been hindered the grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of their god because of the results of their own sin you can't give him right worship in this situation sitting in our sin we cannot come together with god sin and god don't go together Sin will always separate us from God. Psalm 5, verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. As unbelievers, there's a chasm, a deep rift, that sin places between you and God as believers. We are the house of God, are we not? 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? There may not be a chasm any longer between us and God, however, our sin grieves the Holy Spirit and renders us ineffective, or at best, less effective than we could be for the kingdom of the gospel, as people look upon us and they say, if that's a Christian, I don't want anything to do with that. They look at us in our hypocrisy and they say, that does not reflect anything that I think God should be, and so I want nothing to do with that. These are the convictions that God wants to bring us to as he allows the consequences of our sin and the fallenness of this world to affect our lives. He wants to draw us to Himself. He wants us to come to Him. Verse 14, He says, Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. To cry out to Him in realization that we have caused the rift between us and God to understand that it is our sin that has broken the relationship between us. And We cry out to God in realization that he is the only one who can possibly remedy this situation. There's nothing we can do about it. He wants us to realize these things before the day of the Lord. Verse 15, he says, Cry out to the Lord, alas, for the day. For the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. There's a day coming when God will bring a final judgment upon the sin of mankind. As Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Last week, Pastor Kevin spoke to us about having a proper, a right fear of God and so we should. In Isaiah chapter 13, as he describes to us what that day is going to look like, he says, wail! Out loud, wail! For the day of the Lord is near as destruction from the Almighty. It will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. Any woman here ever been in labor? Try to describe it to your man. Men don't even begin to think that you can imagine. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Let the power and potency of that passage grasp our hearts and minds before that day arrives. He is not a God to be trifled with or cast aside. He is the Lord Almighty. Do not mistake His patience for timidity. He is the source of life in all creation. Everything comes back to Him. He holds it all together at this moment. He is the dread supreme, as C.H. Spurgeon referred to Him. He will not allow for our sin forever. This day to come is a horrific day. The terrors in which Scripture try to describe to us, to relate to us, I don't think we can even begin to imagine what it really looks like. People often read passages like this and they think, what a terrible, what a cruel and awful God this must be. How could God make such an awful promise of punishment and destruction when he is supposed to be so good? Why would he want the Israelites to suffer like this in famine and drought with locusts and heat? But we need to recognize in all of this, we need to recognize that we can't fully understand his love, the depth and the richness of his love for us till we fully comprehend a proper fear of him and his pure and perfect holiness in the in the vastness of his love and grace he doesn't want us to continue living in sin and evil he doesn't want this world to be our forever He doesn't want us to have to constantly say goodbye to people we love with untimely deaths. The consequences of our sin. He doesn't want us to reside there forever. And so he warns us and lets us know that there will be a day when he cleans it all up. He refines it and purifies it from sin. He doesn't want this to be where you stay. And there will be a day when he removes the evil out of a love for his people, he tells us that that which is evil and that which is sinful will not abide with him forever. A cruel and a terrible God would not warn us. He would just let us go about our merry way and then bring about justice a cruel and terrible god might just leave us in this sinful condition but instead god patiently waits for us he patiently waits for us because he desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth if he was cruel And terrible, would he have provided not only a warning but a way out? Verses 19 and 20. Joel says, To you, O Lord, I call. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Do you see what happened there? Joel looked around him and he realized that there's only one who can fix this situation. So he cries out to God, to you, O Lord, I call. God allows the fallenness. He allows the consequences. He brings the warning so that we will have a personal response to him. Joel, this this prophet, this man of God, of anyone in that day, you would think he could have pointed the finger at anyone around him and said, I'm not like them. I am the Lord's servant. He has given his word to me. But he must have realized that apart from the grace of God, he is in the exact Same situation as everyone around him. His sins are just as dirty as everyone else's. And so he personally responds to God. He calls upon the name of the Lord. God gives us his word, and in it he tells us of a plan of salvation, his plan of salvation. He tells us that while the wages of our sin is death, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, there is none who does good before God. While this may be the hard reality, he has sent his son Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sins in our place, to be what Scripture calls our atonement. While I should die for my own sins, while I should have to suffer the punishment for what I have done before God, Jesus has died for me in my place. Jesus has become the propitiation for me. He has assuaged the wrath of God toward me in my sin at his sacrifice at the cross. Now, not only that, Jesus rose from the dead as a promise of hope for us. He rose from the grave to show us that he has overcome death in the grave. He is Lord and Master even over that. And in doing so, he has promised us eternal life. When the day of the Lord arrives, and it will, and sin is brought to judgment and the works of this earth are exposed, when God looks upon those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, he sees instead of their sin, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, do you have this one still memorized? For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For everyone, Romans 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God offers hope have you personally responded to him do you see what's going on around us do you understand the evil that we endure from the sins of those around us from the fallenness of this world from our own selves Have you personally responded to God as you see and experience these things? Do you you recognize in those things the, the call of God upon your heart to be restored to Him? Are you upset? Do you lament, gripe, mourn, curse, whatever you want to call it or do, only because you've been caught in your sin and are having to suffer its consequences? Or are you willing to see where God is trying to lead you, that he wants to bring you to the realization that you need a Savior who can cleanse that sin, who can wash it away? Do you see that God wants to lead you to a personal response to Jesus Christ, to call upon the name of the Lord? Joel calls us to cry out to God as we recognize the rift that we have caused in our sin. Come to him today if you have not yet, for the day of the Lord is near. Believer, do you see the deadline drawing near? That the day of the Lord is coming? Are we ready to repent of our own sins so that we can be as effective for the kingdom as possible? Not just being sorry for our sin, but actually turning it away from, turning away from it in a way that changes our lives and people can see it in us. And as they see it in us, they say, now that's something. If that's what a Christian is, then maybe that's something that I want. Are we willing to continue in the sanctification process that God began in you? That transformation of our way of thinking so that we might be those who plant gospel seeds in the lives of those people around us effectively as we Look at the world around us as we see its relativity, as we see everyone doing what's right in their own eyes and people calling what is good evil and what is evil good. Are we ready yet to consecrate a fast and call a solemn assembly? It's funny, I I wrote those words a few days ago. Are we ready yet to consecrate a fast and call a solemn assembly? But I tell you what, this morning God has laid it on my heart. And I'm so terribly sorry if I'm ruining your plans. I'm ruining my own plans. I am hungry. I was hungry this morning. Are we ready yet to consecrate a fast and to call a solemn assembly? Tonight we will be in here. It's too hot to be outside. I understand that. I'm not going to put the worship team out there to rehearse for two hours and then have you all sit out there in that. But we will be in here tonight at 6.30 p.m. Would you be willing to fast with me and then gather tonight in here and pray to cry out to the Lord? I know, often a lot of us say I've, I've, I'm here on Sunday morning and I got things planned. I've got the rest of my day already worked out and Sunday night is some. Nah, it's not biblically required. Don't have to go to Sunday night. I understand that. We don't normally come back. Will you come back tonight? Will you come back tonight? Set aside the plans that you might have had and come back tonight and Pray. Would you gather in solemn assembly here in this place? Fast from now to then. And I understand if you've got health issues that don't allow a true fast, do what you need to do. God knows your heart. But would you be here tonight at 6.30 and pray and call out to God and fast with me between now and and then let's pray father god we praise you for you are not dead you are not a god who appreciates a going through the motions you don't want us to trample your courts or give you lip service you want us to worship You want us to love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, everything that we are. So, Lord, we lift up to you this body, Alden Union Church, and we we know, we acknowledge that we are yours. We are not our own. We have been saved by grace through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and not of ourselves. We have no right to a self-centeredness, but a Christ-centeredness. And, Lord, we give to you worship and praise as we finish this service out. I pray, Father, that you would help us by your living and Holy Spirit to continue to worship you as we go from this place to wherever we're going. and As we gather again, by your Holy Spirit would our every act be an act of worship, our every word be a word of worship, words that glorify you, words that honor you. We praise you, Lord, for you alone are to be praised. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.